0: taking sports to another level welcome to rich take on sports the sports podcast with life exploring the latest headlines and going behind the scenes with in-depth interviews hearing personal stories and the impact of sports in their lives here's your host richmond weaver
1: what time is
0: This is Episode 7. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever format that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. We have a great guest, one of my good friends, Pat Duquette, who's the head coach of the men's basketball team at UMass Lowell. And I'm excited for you to be able to learn more about his story. And if you've missed any other episodes, make sure to go to our website, richtakeonsports.com, and there you can find all of our episodes. You can subscribe directly from there, and if you want to stay connected via Twitter, follow us on Twitter at Rich Sports. And also, if you have any information that you want to send directly to us via email, you can do that by sending me a message to Richmond at RichTakeOnSports dot com. All right, let's now move to our guest this week in the Rich Spotlight. Shining brightly to share the stories of people in sports. This is the Rich Spotlight. This week, it's my pleasure to welcome in a good friend of mine from my early days of coaching, and that's Pat Duquette, who is currently the head coach for the men's basketball team at UMass Lowell. Now, earlier, I've talked about how sports has this unique ability of connecting people and allowing them to stay connected. And that's no truer than the situation with Pat and myself. We first met in 1993. We were both struggling for any big coaching break, and we met at the New Jersey Nets as interns. And this was the same time I was an assistant at Fairleigh Dickinson University, and in all honesty, I was basically interning there as well. Hey, Visa was my checking account. How many know what I'm talking about? Now, I eventually started doing some ticket sales for the Nets, moving out of the intern role. And yes, that helped me make ends meet to a certain degree. But hey, both Pat and I, we were just struggling to try to make it. And we really didn't know how we were going to do it. But also, we didn't care. We were just trying to do it. Hey, our motto was, Just give me a shot. And, you know, and that's how we connected. We were basically on the same team as we were both rooting for each other to make it and go through this journey into coaching. And, you know, I'm just a southern boy from Georgia, went to Clemson, and he's a northeastern guy, been born and raised there. But you know what? Sports connected us. And it's allowed us to stay connected today. And that's what I just love about sports. Now, you know, we continued to have contact for several years after our days in New Jersey together, you know, through the coaching circuit, seeing each other. But life is life and there's drift. And I know everybody knows what I'm talking about. And contact does fade. And it did with us. But that connection was still there. So when I decided to start this crazy thing called Rich Take on Sports, one of the first people I reached out to was Pat. We hadn't talked in 10 plus years. And you know what? One of the first things he said, how can I help? And that's just the type of person he is, putting others first. And so it's easy to see why guys like playing for him and why parents trust him with their kids. He's now entering season number five at UMass Lowell and has helped lead the transition for the school from Division two to Division one. And that's not an easy task, but he's been up to the challenge. But before that, he spent three years as an associate head coach at Northeastern with Bill Cohn and also 13 years at Boston College with Al Skinner climbing his way from administrative assistant to associate head coach during those 13 years. And I think you're going to enjoy his story. So here's the interview. With Pat Duquette. Well, Coach Duquette, thanks for joining us today. I greatly appreciate your time, sir. Yeah, thanks, Rich. Good to join you. Yeah, it's great getting reconnected, you know, after uh, all these years and you've moved on to bigger and better things from our early days of interning together at New Jersey Nets. I know we uh, like to refer to those as the lean years, right?
1: Extremely lean. <laughs> yes, yeah. it
0: was. It, started, it was that long ago. But... I know it. It's, it's unbelievable how how time goes by so fast and speaking of time going by so fast let's actually rewind the start was interning together with the nets but let's explore even further back for you let's talk about your childhood growing up in sports and how you became uh, into sports or how it became an important part of your life
1: yeah i mean like many kids i didn't realize it at the time but i had a i was so fortunate to have a great childhood wonderful supporting parents. um, There was five kids in my family. Uh, It was all about school and sports. And my mom and dad stressed that. They were fully supportive um, uh, in everything we did. You know, all I can remember as a kid is my mom and dad, you know, shuffling us back and forth from game to game in a station wagon. And like I said, there was five kids, we all played sports. It was just picking up one and dropping off the other. And, you know, that was my life growing up. We all played multiple sports back then it wasn't okay. like kids specialized so in the fall we played soccer in the winter we played basketball in the spring we all played baseball and um and that was just kind of the cycle of life <laughs> 40 every season and uh, and do well in your schoolwork, and and you get to keep playing
0: <laughs> now as you mentioned your brothers and family and all of that how was the lineup where did you fall in the mix and did they provide motivation for you and did you look up to some of them
1: yeah. And that was another reason why I was fortunate because I had two older brothers and okay. older sister. I'm fourth out of fifth out of five. And um, yeah, I think that's always a, a nice situation for a kid who wants to get into sports to have older siblings that are already doing it. Um, not just not just to teach you, but, you know, to, at some point to, to compete with. Yeah. And then, you know, to, to have goals to try for you. You know, you always want to be as good as your older brother and, right. uh, or, or better. So yeah. to have that. That goal to to, uh, to challenge myself growing up uh, was great. And my older older siblings were really good about including me, um, beating me whenever they could, <laughs> encouraging me as well.
0: And now what about your neighborhood? How was that? Was it a situation too where the neighborhood would get together and play and compete and that helped motivate and helped you in your path?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a different time, Rich. It's yeah. probably similar to when you grow up. I mean, That's it right. was pre-computers in video games so yeah. that's all we did and and we would just you know sometimes make up our own games it would be a tennis you know we play baseball with a tennis racket uh and, and a tennis yeah. ball right out in the street and uh and pretty much every day i was fortunate i lived uh two blocks from a park so we would go to the park almost every day but if not we would just play out in the street uh, live down a real real quiet street not much traffic so we turned it into you know a, a hockey a hockey rink a baseball wow. diamond, a basketball court, you know, it was whatever we needed it to be. And we would play from, you know, sunrise to sunset and take two breaks for for meals. But that's about it. That that's was it. my childhood growing up. So not, not a bad way to do it.
0: No doubt about it. And then, so when did you start gravitating towards one sport and in particular basketball? Or was there a particular moment that you did that? Or did you just continue to play multiple sports all through high school?
1: Yeah, I played multiple sports all through high school, but okay. that's mostly what... People did. It's um, a smaller high school as well. You know, in order to field competitive teams in all the sports, you know, we had, we were you know really needed guys to play multiple sports. Yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had competitive teams. Okay. So there was a lot of encouragement slash pressure for uh, for good athletes to play uh, multiple sports. Um, so I did that all the way to college, and you know, basketball was becoming my best sport uh, throughout high school and it becoming noticeable. So. You know, I did do a couple specialty camps in the summer. There wasn't much AAU traveling, but specialty camps not too far from my house that I went to uh, and then got recruited a little bit at the Division three level. I ended up going to Williams College, which yeah. wasn't too far uh, from my home.
0: And then was there a moment that you came to realize that, man, I love basketball and I want to pursue coaching basketball as my career?
1: Yeah, when I was in college, um, I... Wasn't sure. I I switched majors a couple different times, um, and wasn't sure which path to go. Um, Ultimately, I chose history more because I liked the schoolwork. It was interesting to me, and at the same time, I was watching my older brother and my cousin, both of which uh, played baseball in college—one at Williams, one at Amherst. They were getting involved in Major League Baseball on the administrative side and the management side, and they were they were doing pretty well. So, uh, I was watching them. Uh, you know, from my spot in college and thinking all along, boy, that's what I want to do. Okay. Um, you know, the same type of thing in basketball that led me to when I graduated where I met you in our yeah. unpaid internships down <laughs> with the New Jersey net <laughs> scraping to get by and, yeah. uh, was real fortunate, you know, even to get that. My dad had a lifetime contact down there who worked in the community relations department. and He helped pave the way, um, You know, and I I got showed up and got there, and it was a great experience. Um, but it wasn't everything I was looking for. You know, like you, I wanted to get more involved in basketball, so I tried to get a little bit more in the basketball operations side, and um, that was difficult to do. So then I started reaching out from there. And just sent a bunch of letters, old school style it was pre email so right. a bunch of letters to all the division one, two, II, and three college coaches, okay. you know, not asking for a job, but just asking for some time where I could sit and and ask their advice and give some direction and okay a, a number of them answered, and yeah uh, I, d- I did that for a while, and then I ended up um, getting a another volunteer position <laughs> <laughs> uh, centenary at n a i a school that had just turned co ed and was about forty five minutes from. East Rutherford. That was my uh, my first college coaching experience.
0: Okay. And then so it, during that whole process, was there ever a thought of doing something in basketball outside of coaching?
1: I didn't. Um, I just, what I realized was, you know, because there's no minor league system with that, the opportunities um, to get involved are far fewer. And uh, on the, uh, you know, the, the management side and administration yeah. Um, side. So, you know, college basketball is, the, you know, kind of the, the quote unquote minor league system for the NBA. So, um, I knew that was my path and, um, you know, I had that little bit of experience um, coaching at Centenaries and, yeah. and I really enjoyed it. Okay. So I knew that probably wasn't a location for me, okay. but I thought I had found the path if I could get into college at any level, that um, that's what I wanted to do at that point. You know, after this after the internship ended, I had no idea how I was gonna continue coaching. So I Jake. went down, lived with my brother who was working in the Mets minor league system at the time down in Port St. Lucie. I just lived with him, and uh, waited tables and um, I tried to take take a pause and figure figure it out. And that's yeah. when I got a call, uh, Dave Paulson, who recruited me to play at Williams College. Uh, he had just left Cleveland State, where he was an assistant coach, and he took the head job at Saint Lawrence University. And he had an opening for an assistant coaching job position, and he called me. and I dro- drove home and drove right up there and took it. And that was my next college job, and that that was tremendous, Rich. Such a great learning experience. Um, Dave, Dave knew me uh, from my Williams days. Um, he had coached in the Division three level, but he had also spent time at the Division one level. And he gave me so much responsibility, particularly in recruiting, and taught me a lot about the business um, at every level. So even though I only spent one year with him, uh, I learned a ton, uh, and it was a great experience for me.
0: What did that path look like after, after St. Lawrence?
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's almost better sometimes for kids to get their feet wet at the Division three level yeah. because you, you can do everything. I, I, I recruited, I coached, um, you know, I learned a lot. Whereas sometimes the entry level at the Division One level can be a grad assistant yeah. or it can be an operations position and you don't always get to do the on the floor coaching or the recruiting. So, um even though it was at a lower level, you know, uh, I, I thought it was really helpful to be able to, to get on the floor and, and especially to recruit because sure. we all know that's such a part of it. Um, and, and that helped me get my next job. Okay. I mean, when you're on the road in division three and division two, there's no restriction. So, I mean, almost every weekend I'm at a tournament all summer, all spring. And through that, uh, experience, I got to know some of the other division two coaches in the area. Um, and a, a year later, a position opened up at St. Michael's college, division two school. And I had gotten to know the assistant coach a little bit from, from being on the road, uh, and interviewed and got that job. And that okay. was a good next step for me. Got me to a slightly higher level and uh, also afforded me the opportunity to get my master's degree. So I did that and spent two years there.
0: So what type of grind was that coaching and going back to school? Was that a challenge?
1: Well, I made $7,500. I thought I was rich because <laughs> I was only making 3000 $3, at St. Lawrence. Okay. The year before. Yeah. So they offered me 7500 Now, in addition to coaching, I had to do management for the uh, fall and spring sports on top of that as mm. I mentioned I was getting my master's, yeah. and to earn a little bit more money I was a substitute uh, teacher at the local uh, uh, grade school add all that together and trying to coach and it was probably six thirty in the morning to 10 o'clock at night every every day but honestly rich I loved it. Yeah. you know when okay. you when you like what you're doing yeah. and you're young um, I, I didn't notice the time I was putting in. I I enjoyed every every bit of it.
0: And then so you get your master's, and then w- what's the the next step for you?
1: Happened fast. I remember my parents coming up for the graduation ceremony, and all of a sudden I'm off to Boston College. And I, my plan was to stay at St. Mike's uh, that that spring. Um, the assistant coach that I knew became the head coach, uh, and. He moved me up to his top assistant after four or five years of bouncing around with no benefits and part-time positions. I got my first full-time position with benefits. I think it was $28,000. Wow. Um, you know, I thought I died and went to heaven. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm a full-time college coach. But coincidentally, that same spring, Al Skinner and his staff, who were at Rhode Island, got the Boston College job, and they all obviously moved uh, to Boston, and yeah. they had one position of Al. The guy I was working with, Tom O'Shea's brother, Tim O'Shea, was Coach Skinner's top assistant, and I had gotten to know him through his brother, and they invited me down to interview for the administrative assistant/slash operations position at Boston College in, uh, back in 1997. They, uh, Coach Skinner, offered me the job on the spot, and I took it. That was my big break to get me to the Division One level.
0: So you get Division One level. What did you see first and foremost when you got to Boston College in terms of the difference between Division One and and Division Two II and Three where you had been?
1: Well, I mean everything. I okay. mean not just the, the you know the caliber of athlete, but yeah. the facilities. Okay. You know alone. I mean you know when you have big time football, you know the size of the athletic department, the number of personnel there. Um, you know the, the facilities themselves. You know, it's a whole different world. The, the the power conference in Division One, yeah. So, yeah, it was a great learning experience. And, and um, I mean, I was in heaven. Boston College, I couldn't have imagined, you know, working at a school like that. And I, I didn't have many contacts in Division One, so I never really envisioned that as a possibility. You know, at the same time, a lot of people were telling us that there's no way we're going to win. Um, it was a pretty bad situation when the coach left. A few of the players had followed him. Some of the recruits got denied admission. We were dealt a tough hand, and there were a lot of people that were skeptical about whether or not we could turn it around.
0: So d- within that, uh, walk us through some of the, the highlights at Boston College, what you guys were able to accomplish, because you did definitely turn it around.
1: Yeah. Um, those first few years, I mean, the highlights for me were, were uh, just going to work every day and okay. learning from guys like you know Coach Skinner and yeah. Bill Cohn. M. O'Shea Ed Cooley we had such a good staff I mean all those guys right now including myself are division one head coaches so to be a part of that staff and around those guys and uh, it was a great opportunity for me um, year three we finished in last place and I think you know a lot of people were still unsure whether what was going to happen got a guy by the name of Troy Bell had a had a handful of tough Tough kids around them uh, who got a l- little bit older, and we had a group that gelled. We had a small group, but we ended up pressing and playing a, uh, a style that really fit them well. And we went from last place to first place in between our third and fourth year. We actually won the Big East regular season, and we won the Big East uh, conference tournament. And, man, it was awesome. That was 2001, the okay. first time it had ever been done where yeah. someone went from worst to first. And we won the Big East tournament by the largest margin of victory in, in the history of the tournament. So, uh, yeah, it was a great run. And then it just took off from yeah. there. Rich, um, guys got jobs. We continued to go to NCAA tournaments. You know, I continued to get promoted as got you know guys above me left. I think we went to seven NCAA tournaments in nine
0: years. Oh my
1: goodness! Uh, I mean, oh. it was a hell
0: of a run. So you you jump in position. You're you know you're no longer administrative assistant in op- operations. Now you become a Full time assistant out on the road recruiting, is that correct?
1: In 2001, when we um, won the Big East tournament, after that season, Tim O'Shea, who was the associate head coach, got the head job at Ohio University. Um, so all of a sudden, I'm sitting there and I've got two unbelievable opportunities that just right in front of me. Um, Tim, coach O'Shea offers me to be his assistant at Ohio, and Coach, coach Skinner offers to promote me from the administrative assistant to the full-time coaching role at Boston College. But at that time, if you remember, the, the third assistant was not recruiting. That's right. Yeah. So my choice is, you know, go to Ohio and be one of the top assistants and get on the road recruiting or stay at Boston College, you know, at, in the Big East, which is the highest level, but be in that third spot and not be able to recruit. And I actually chose to stay at Boston College. Okay. They were both choices. A year A year after that, you know I was fortunate again because they changed the rules and they allowed the yeah. third assistant to go on the road recruiting so um, then I was at a position where okay i 'm a full time coach i 'm full time recruiting in the big east at the highest level that was a great spot for me. I was young you know I was probably uh, thirty you know thirty one thirty two years old
0: was there ever a moment that as you're progressing in thinking to yourself, okay, things are lining up and I'm very interested in being a head coach one day. When did that start coming into your mind?
1: Well, it should have came into my mind a lot sooner than it did. Okay. Um, (laughs) The problem was I enjoyed working at Boston College so much. And I enjoyed working for Coach Skinner so much and living in Boston. And I'm two and a half hours from my mom and all my siblings and nieces and nephews. I was too busy having a blast to, to start looking and preparing myself to be a head coach. Um, so, um, you know, I interviewed once or twice when I was at Boston college, but it's a type of thing where there's so many fewer jobs than there are candidates, right? Yeah. To be a head coach. That's it, right. It's so competitive. It so you've got to get out there and you've got to interview for a few jobs before you end up landing one. That's how competitive it is. That's so right. I probably in hindsight would have been a little bit more aggressive towards the end of my time at Boston college, but, but I also thought for every reason that we were going to be at boston college, college a long time yeah you know, we had had so much success, so. but that didn't happen you know in 2010 you know turn of strange events and my boss and his boss you know obviously you know some things happened yeah. there and, and we got let go of boston college yeah so they just
0: didn't see that eye. was uh
1: after 13 years 15 years really of of good things and fortunate things and um that was the first real big blow that my career had taken yeah.
0: Now describe where does that leave you? What's unemployed. your plan after that? Okay. Yeah. So walk us through that.
1: Scared, worried. Yeah. And just unsure. I was just just talking to Andy Katz, who's been a really good friend of mine from ESPN yeah. yesterday. Okay. And uh, he, he obviously was, was let go with all the yes. layoffs, which is mind boggling to me that it a really guy is. that qualified uh, at his job. But anyway, he was saying it's like being at your own funeral. You know, f- from the outside and watching. Okay. And that's kind of what it was like. It's a surreal experience. You got a lot of people reaching out, trying to support you, um, but a lot of uncertainty yeah. uh, as well. Um, I, I caught another break. Okay. You know, I'd become great, great friends with the assistant coaches at Boston College when I was there. Bill Cohn had left in 2006 to be the head coach at Northeastern. He was one of my closest friends. Um, we had worked well together for uh eight eight nine years when we were at bc so he created uh you know position he gave me the associate head coaching position at northeastern in 2010 obviously it's you know not the acc and it was a huge pay cut for me um but i ran to take it It, it's hard to get one chance and sometimes it's even harder to get a second second chance so it didn't matter to me what level was or or what the money was? I knew Bill. Uh, I, kn- I knew he was a great coach, and this was a, another opportunity for me to stay in college coaching. So I was super excited.
0: I, I know that worked out because obviously it continued to lead your path and, and to becoming a head coach. So h- how did that all come about then?
1: Yeah, the um, becoming a head coach. Well, I, yeah. I you know I stayed in it. I stayed in it. Yeah. I stayed at it. Okay. I, you know I got. I had to be a little more aggressive in terms of getting myself out there and interviewing for head coaching jobs because you don't know what's going to happen. Um, so I, I was at Northeastern for three years. I was able to get a couple more Division One interviews, get my name out there. Um, we were also uh, having success at Northeastern, which helped. We won the conference in 2013. So when the UMass Lowell job opened up, you know, now I had been at you know two major colleges and universities in the area, in Boston College and Northeastern, and we had a lot of success at both spots. So it was easy for me, you know, to get involved in the interview process. They were well aware of the success that I had been a part of um, and, um, you know, loved this place from the day I arrived and the, and the day I spoke with, you know, Dana Skinner and Peter Casey and saw the campus and the arena uh, that we were going to play in. I was familiar with the America East Conference. I knew that it was a job that um, you could have a lot of success with, uh, especially if you know, the people were realistic and patient enough and I feel like they are here. They're competitive. They're giving me all the resources and they want to win, but, um, they're very realistic about how the process is going to take some time. So that's kind of where I'm at.
0: Yeah. And so was there something about that you you found, uh, thrilling or motivating that knowing that you're going to be able to take a program and transition it to division one?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think in some ways, um, it's a more interesting job, more rewarding job than, an esta- you know, a Division One program that had already been established. Yeah. Um, and I, I remind my assistants that sometimes we don't know how, they don't know how lucky we are sometimes to be able to have the input that we have. Okay. And the impact that we have in building this thing. A lot of times when you're at a Division One school that's been Division One for a long time, you're you running into, the, well, this is the way we've done it for yeah, years. That's right. You know? This is the way we've always done it. I, I don't run into that at all here. I mean, people are open-minded; they want input. Um, they've given me a lot of freedom to build this thing uh, the way we want to do it, and uh, that's a pretty unique opportunity to be able to have that that much of an impact.
0: What are some of the highlights, you know, that you've been able to accomplish at UMass Lowell?
1: Well, just the number of wins. I mean, when we don't get caught up in it, we yeah. don't emphasize it too much. Okay. Um, but we've won more in the last four years than. You know, I don't know exactly, but just about anybody that's made the transition, okay. uh, we've got more Division One wins. Um, I think forty-four in four years. Wow. Um, you know, a good example comparison is is Bryant um, is right down the road in Rhode Island, and they did it, uh, made the transition just a few years before us. And and Tim O'Shea's the head coach down there. He's done a great job. But yeah. in their first four years, I think they won twenty Division One games, and we've already got forty-four. So. In terms of wins and losses, yeah. I think we've had much more success than people thought we would. We've got a couple signature wins, you know, we beat Boston College, we beat Fordham. So those were certainly um, highlights for us.
0: Was it bittersweet at all for the big win against Boston College?
1: I mean, that's such a special place for me. I've yeah. got two assistants on my staff uh, that played for me at Boston College. Okay. so once the game starts, I mean, you know how it is. It's it's just like every other game because it's got to be, but it's tunnel vision. um, Yeah. You know, going to that campus, um, is always a little bit special for for us. I mean, I spent 13 years there. So imagine a long time, you know, yeah, it's a long time. And I've got a lot of friends that still work there that I stay in touch with. So, um, but that was a great win for our program. Um, but for me just to really, to see these guys, especially the guys we had early on, um, just keep showing up and having fun and fighting and, and not ever giving in to the pressure and the challenge because there's times where it's overwhelming. Yeah. I, mean, I can remember a handful of games where I man, we were getting our tails kicked and you know, there was nothing any of us could do um to, to, to help it. Those are those are defining moments where it can go either way. You know, as you know, teams can kind of cave in and That's right and give up or they can stay the course and believe. Yes. And I've always had guys that have continued to fight and, and continue to believe. So that's made it easier to go through this tough, uh, tough transition.
0: Now, so speaking of just the recruiting that you're that you have been doing all these years and now, you know, obviously at recruiting uh, as a head coach. And you had mentioned that how we grew up is different. You know, there's much more specialized AAU events, teams and players gravitate just to one sport and that's it when you're out there recruiting, do you look for guys that are actually playing multiple sports or has it become such a uh, situation where there's really not that many out there?
1: Well, it doesn't necessarily matter to me. Um, I see the advantage of doing it as a, as a parent. Um, I think there can be an advantage to the kid as well, but you know, there's other advantages obviously to specializing too. Um, so I don't, it's not something that, um I focus on too much. I okay. do think that sometimes when a kid plays multiple sports while he's not playing at as many of the high exposure recruiting events, you know, sometimes you can get a kid who gets overlooked because he didn't get on the AU scene as much and maybe didn't get as much exposure. Yeah. And that's happened with us in the past where, you know, we've gotten a kid that, you know, played baseball or football and for that reason wasn't at a lot of the events and all of a sudden you're like, Wow, I think we can get you know, a more talented kid.
0: Well, as we're wrapping up here, uh, Pat, I just wanted to see if you could share, you know, just life lessons that you've learned because of your long career in sports and what you've been able to pull from sports and apply it into your everyday life professionally and personally.
1: Um, for me, Rich, it's it's the education component. Okay. And well, I'm, I'm a proud son of Two school teachers, so yeah. maybe I can't get that part out of it. But that's a big reason why I chose this profession. Okay, um, what people see, you know, in the newspapers and and on TV is just one small piece um, of what we do. Yeah, you know, it's probably the most exciting part is uh, you know playing those big time games in front of the crowds and the cameras. But by far the most fulfilling part for me is um giving kids the opportunity for an education and then watching them take advantage of it and grow yeah. and develop uh, and the relationships that you get to build you know to me that's the most rewarding that's the most lasting part of this thing you know i get the business side believe me yeah. i've been doing it long enough at a high level that's right. you know i got to win <laughs> if we're going to keep keep you know keep being able to educate uh kids but yes. for me that's a huge part of it that's what drives me uh, every day, just as much as, as the winds. Uh, I've got a quote that's always stuck with me since I was uh, a kid growing
0: up. And yes, please share it. I was going to ask for your words of wisdom.
1: Yeah, it's even been more relevant as I became a head coach. Okay. I make You make so many decisions on a daily basis, yes. you know, not just basketball decisions. You know, you're making decisions that are impacting kids' lives, your assistant coaches' lives, and um, you got to be able to do that and uh and sometimes it's um yeah sometimes it's daunting but th- this particular quote kind of helps me keep things in perspective okay. it's uh you know god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference uh that's something that kind of sticks with me and yes. helps guide me when i'm making a lot of decisions and it's served me well over the past
0: few years that's very powerful and thank you so much for sharing that and Uh, And Pat, thank you so much for sharing your time and your story. I greatly appreciate it and uh, definitely look forward to great things at UMass Lowell for you, sir.
1: Thanks, Rich. I look forward to staying in touch with you now. Let's not be a stranger again.
0: And that was my good friend, Pat Duquette. I'm telling you, he's done it the right way. He paid his dues in the grind, but you know what? He also got some breaks, as he mentioned. Now, the lesson here is to remember That even though he got some breaks, he took advantage of the opportunity when he was given that and he worked hard at it. He put in those long hours and I guarantee you there were many times that he probably thought about giving up. I know, I know what it's like to be in that coaching grind. The coaching life isn't easy, especially earlier in your career. And now for the ones that make it to the big time, yes, the grind might be a little easier because of the luxuries that you're afforded. But there's just another set of challenges and pressures that come with it. But I'm definitely looking forward to watching Pat and the Riverhawks continue to do great things. Okay, Episode 7 is coming to a close. So let's finish this week with the Weekly Words of Wisdom. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. (laughs) Let's explore the Weekly Words of Wisdom. The weekly words of wisdom come from a voice we just heard in the rich spotlight, and that's the words from Pat Duquette, head coach for the men's basketball team at UMass Lowell. Now, there's no need to go search for words of encouragement or words to keep us balanced when Pat did a great job of giving us those words in his interview. As he mentioned in the interview, he's leaned on these words for a long time, and they've helped him throughout his whole career and his life. So once again, he said, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, you know, we often get so consumed in our life trying to control and change things. And the energy that we spend on these things could be better spent focusing on things that we can control. And I'm no different than any one of you. I still get caught up in life and get caught up trying to control everything. And this is just a great reminder to focus on the things that you can control. And also, hopefully, that we have the wisdom and maturity to understand what you can and can't control. Well, that wraps up Episode 7, everyone. We'll be back next week, and don't be surprised if there's another bonus episode early in the week. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.